If you're a senior executive looking to transition to boards, check out our Fast Start Guide to Board Success. In this short guide, we'll answer all of your questions about landing a paid board role and we'll share some of the rookie errors executives make when trying to climb the board ladder. Jump on our website, boardcoachinginstitute.com.au or click on the link in the show notes to access your free copy today. If you're looking for board success, let us show you how. We live in an ideas economy and every board member will probably be very aware of the impact of digital and now AI and, and other technologies. In fact, when you look at the core assets of an organization, a hundred years ago, it was known as plant and equipment that came from the agricultural age and it was very much the assets were physical and the rest, the ideas, was known as goodwill. If you look in the last 20 years of businesses, and I'm not talking big, just big tech companies, but I'm also talking about anything from universities as a business through to those working in the cloud economy, whether it's digital, media, marketing, or otherwise, 80% of a business is now what's known as intangible assets or ideas. Hi, I'm Sally Parrish, Amazon best-selling author of The Essential Field Guide for Company Directors and founder of the Board Coaching Institute. I've been in, on and around boards for over 20 years and if you, like me, are passionate about the boardroom, then this podcast is for you. And I'd love you to join me on this mission to decode board success. What is it that sets some non-executive directors apart from the rest? How can you enhance your leadership skills so you can be highly effective in the boardroom? And what will it take to make board success a reality for you? I hope you enjoy these episodes as much as I love making them and that they unlock the secrets for you to gain a competitive advantage and have massive impact and influence in your board roles. Let's get started. So joining us today, very much on the go from Darwin, is Gareth Benson. Welcome, Gareth. Hi, Sally. Great to be here with you. So we're talking today about intellectual property. And I know that's an area that, you know, confuses people, scares people. And we have some, you know, preconceived ideas that it's a very expensive area of law. So let's start, if we may, by looking at what is intellectual property property. Tell us a bit about that space that you've been working in now for 20 years. Yes, thanks, Sally. Yes, I'm an intellectual property lawyer. And what that fancy name is, is basically I'm a lawyer who deals with ideas. Intellectual property represents the property of the mind or intellect. So it basically, in business terms, it means the proprietary knowledge that we create with our ideas. Love that. You've got a really fabulous book. And I've got to say this, when I picked up your ideology book, a book about intellectual property and the law of ideas, I wasn't expecting to enjoy the read. I'm going to be quite honest. I was expecting <laughs> Fair enough. to learn a bit, but I was gripped. How does a lawyer write such a great book? It was like I was, you know, I was just spellbound. It was really amazing storytelling. How did the book come about? Thanks so much, Sally. Well, I, I guess I am a creator. 
even though I am a legal practitioner and have worked for places like SBS Television and CSIRO and the Australian Centre of Moving Image, at the end of the day, I have been a storyteller and a writer, and that's my proprietary knowledge. I uh, And I've brought it into the book, been creating since I was a young boy, and basically I like that that gives me a lens to actually understand not only you know the media industry for example and where intellectual property lies within it but also within stories itself i think stories contain ideas and that's what ideology was written why it was written was to help people understand through the power of story the power of their ideas i really love that and for anyone listening today whether you're interested in a book on intellectual property or not, I suggest having a look at this book because it really does demonstrate how powerful storytelling is. We're always talking about storytelling being a leadership skill. It gives you impact. It gives you influence. And this book is a really incredible, incredible example of that. So whether you're looking at IP or whether you're looking at storytelling, have a look at the book. And like I say, I was lost. So it starts out, with this beautiful story of these pearl divers in Australia. Can you take us back through that story? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, look, as you mentioned at the beginning of the call, I'm currently residing in Darwin, Australia, although I do work on the East Coast. I'm a Melbourne boy originally. But one of the stories that gripped me here was actually the story about two pearl divers that built a billion-dollar company. And pearl diving is a very, very dangerous pursuit, especially back in the day, the 1800s and early 1900s. And there were actually some immigrants from Greece off the coast of Broome, brothers indeed, that would dive to find pearls. And pearl diving has been long entrenched up here. But it was this story, it is a local story, is about these two brothers who then decided that they no longer wanted to be divers anymore and they wanted to build their own boat and basically sail their own boat. Fast forward about 100 years later, this family known as the Paspali family cultivate some of the most exquisite mother of pearl, pearls that are exported and it's now a billion dollar business. Relating it to ourselves is that we are all sailors in a sense if we're out in our own business or perhaps if you're working on a board, you know, a board position for a big organization, we're all on a boat. But it's really about those that choose to build a boat within their own ideas. And these are the entrepreneurs that can shape and transform industries. So that's where the story begins. It begins around the idea that if you're going to take an idea out to market, you have to build a solid vessel. And that's where ideology begins. I love that. And I love all the stories that follow. You do a short history of time, right? And we start with, we'd start with like the agricultural age and then the industrial age. And we all know, you know, it's no surprises that we're now in this information age. And what we're trading now is ideas and it's all about content marketing. It's all about as much information as you can put out there. And I guess that's really creating some complications when it comes to IP. So let's talk about some of the artificial intelligence that's out there. There are 
you know, the most well-known one right now is chat GPT. Type in your content and it will generate an email for you or a job description for you or, you know, a framework even for you. When we're using these AI tools to develop our ideas, where does the IP ownership land with that? Look, this is a great question and I'm loving the disruption that AI is bringing, might I just say. First and foremost, I'll just say about ChatGPT is that I just think it's the most advanced typewriter ever created. And when we look back in time, copyright and our laws around intellectual property began with the printing press. And in 1710, the Statute of Anne, which actually gave people a pecuniary right, a financial right to earn a living of what they could create. And in that time, it was authorship. Fast forward to our present day, ChatGPT is simply the most advanced typewriter ever made. And I think that we will find that you can still own the ideas that you are generating. It's simply a tool. It's simply a typewriter. And really the obligation more than ever before is for us to be a captain of those ideas, whether we use AI tools or not, and to assert our intellectual property or ownership of it. I think copyright is alive and well. So if I'm hearing you correctly, these are tools to facilitate the creation of ideas. And if we if we use them, we're effectively programming the tool to come out with the idea that we're looking for. And then we, in effect, own that. Is that correct? Precisely. Precisely. I'll give you another example because this one's uh, really topical in this last week. I was advising a very talented graphic artist from New York, who brought out a graphic novel called Zara, uh, Dawn of the Dead. And basically, she used another platform called Midjourney, which is an animation tool. And simply, while once and and artists still do uh, use graphic design, this artist used Midjourney, which is an AI platform. Just last week, in the US, and I might add that this is different for listeners in Australia versus US, But in the U.S., you can register your own copyright. And the U.S. have just ruled that you can still own, you know, the narrative, the script, the ideas and compilation. But interestingly enough, you can't actually own at this stage the AI images that you create with the tool, which I think is really complex. I believe in short that we should be able to own anything we create with ChatGPT or MidJourney or DALA-E. All of these things are tools, and I think, quite simply, we've been using them for quite a long time, assisted technology to create, and we should continue to do so. Yeah, and we're only going to see more of these, right? We've already got Tommy for PowerPoints. We've got Playground for images. We've got Jasper for social media content. There's lots and lots of these tools coming on. It's a really interesting space because when I think about this, AI is probably one of the fastest moving things we have in the world right now. And law, no offense, is probably one of the slowest, right? (laughs) It takes a while for the law to catch up. True. So how is the law doing in this fast moving tech space right now? Well, I think the law is reactive and always has been. Yeah. It kind of is a net that moves behind ideas and sort of does work on the balance 
of probabilities. It works to help rectify wrongs, but it works slower than perhaps the moves in society. And when we're seeing such rapid advances in technology, I agree, Sally, the law is going to be challenged, mm-hmm. not only in terms of speed, but even in its delivery. I mean, let's not forget there are certain platforms now that can even help with minor offences or even interpret the law. But again, I think, and I'm seeing members of the legal fraternity use the platforms, and I think, again, it's going to be assisting more efficient delivery. And if there's more efficiency being delivered, then I think we may find that that court cases and precedents move more quickly too. And I think that's actually an improvement to the system that I think everyone would probably celebrate, particularly if you've ever been in the court system. So I think that the use of the tools and even the decisions made within the law could become more effective. We even know another recent example is that the metaverse, you know, there was the first digital courtroom, a Colombian court presided over, a judge presided over a case completely in a digital world, a metaverse environment, and there were some real positives. Uh, The World Economic Forum, for example, reported on last week. So I think efficiency is the key, and AI is a technology that may indeed improve the speed and the reaction of the law. Yeah, and AI is just one such example, right? I know you're currently dealing in cases involving crypto, NFTs, data breaches. You know, there's a there's a really wide scope. It, IP was always a kind of specialty within law. Are you seeing that there's going to be specialties within the IP spe- like framework soon? I actually think, Sally, the fundamentals of IP are still there. And I do think we might find some niches or there might be required some amendments in certain areas. But if we just look at some of the basics of IP here on the, you know, even on this, this podcast today, when we look at copyright, copyright is the law of the, the written expression. You know, copyright basically is about the original expression of ideas. And I think AI is just a tool or even NFTs or other digital, let's just call them digital technologies, essentially contain copyright. And whether it's the printing press or whether it's now in the area of digital, copyright is alive and well because data is a huge copyright and it's worth really valuable money. So I don't think it's going anywhere and I don't think it still applies in its interpretation. It's about the expression of ideas, even if they are data sets. Likewise, trademarks are a very important part of the registrable intellectual property rights. These things are your brands. Now, last year, the metaverse was all the talk of the town, and there was no bigger rush for trademarks than big luxury brands and and some very established software brands to make sure that they were protected in these new universes in software applications, for example. So trademarks, again, brands are going to only be bigger in a digital world where you still live in a world of ideas and trademarks help protect a badge of origin. I understand you have a trademark story, actually. Just to bring, bring <laughs> it's a not a good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is where people often intersect with IPs <laughs> when their ideas are confronted. And I'd love for you to share it because it illustrates the power of trademark. Yeah. Look, I am a big advocate of protecting your work. I absolutely am. And we'll talk about 
you know, the balance sheet in a moment for businesses and the value of these IP assets that they create, because it's not just about, you know, protecting your ideas. It's actually about creating value from those ideas. But yeah, my story, I've been coaching for nearly 20 years. A lot of what I do is train coaches in how to coach. I'm all about raising the standards of the coaching industry. And I created, well, I came up with the idea Coachology. So I trademarked that way back, way back. I want to go back 2010, around that time. And I took the steps of protecting that globally. So I had the trademark for Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, America, UK and Ireland. Fast forward to the pandemic, I'm busy homeschooling my kids, like many of us in Melbourne were, and my, I can't remember, something lapsed. I don't know if it was my domain name or my web hosting, but there was something that took my website down. And of course, I wasn't trading, so I wasn't aware of that until somebody in the US accused me of sitting on a trademark and not using it and made a hostile attempt to seize that from me. And for me, you know, as as a coach in Australia in the middle of a pandemic, I was looking at legal action in the US that I really didn't have the time or the energy to face. And, you know, as I said to you before we've even, you know, met for this podcast, it's one thing to have the trademark, it's another to be able to uphold it. Yeah, look, absolutely. And look, you went down the right road. You developed a very valuable idea, an education business um, out of your ideas. And you went down the right road of protecting that name as a badge of origin. That's what a trademark is. Basically, it serves to distinguish you from all others in the marketplace. And whether you're talking fast food brands or luxury brands, whether it's your Mercedes or your Louis Vuitton's, or even you as a business owner, as a coach and consultant, you are developing ideas and intellectual property every day. And therefore, it serves you to protect your most visible asset, your brand. In this case, you were challenged on it and you may or may not have decided to take up the fight. But the reality is, is that putting a trademark in place is not an expensive move. It actually creates an asset, which I know we'll talk about shortly. But also, more, most importantly, it protects all your marketing activities and gives you the exclusive right to own and use the name in the market in which you're selling your goods and services. And over the years of developing a smaller medium business or a large enterprise, that is worth dollars. So therefore, it makes sense to protect that as a trademark. Challenging it is tricky. Uh, it can be long and arduous. And there are Lots of stories I could bring up about that. In fact, trademark law is littered with them. However, the reality is this. Registering a trademark allows you to use the registered R symbol and even TM in the meantime pending a trademark application. And it's like this, Sally. It tells people and the rest of the market to stay off the grass. Yeah. Basically, I own this name in the marketplace. A domain doesn't, business name doesn't, not even your proprietary limited company. Only a trademark will protect you. So therefore, as I say, in the ship of ideology, it's like the it's the flag at the top of your ship. So you should wear it proud and you should protect it because it's what people recognize you in the marketplace as. Yeah, and you're right. It does it builds a fence around the property, it puts some posters up, you know, guard dogs, beware. 
but you know, there's always going to be someone that's going to chance it. I actually like it in fairness. I didn't challenge it. I didn't pursue it. I, I just figured at the time that I was going down a different path anyway. And I let it lapse with some bitterness. <laughs> you know, I let it go. But, you know, new chapter, new careers. So it's okay to let that go. I'm not that bitter, really. Probably the biggest IP story, and I hope you're not going to tell me it's a myth because I've been teaching this story for years. It's probably the Hungry Jack's Burger King story, right? Oh, that's a great example. I love it. Yeah, no, it's a great example. Yeah. So this great brand, Burger King, you know, all across the US, all across the UK, and it ventures onto Australian stores. And a little Burger Kebabby shop in Sydney was it was already called Burger, Burger King. King. Yeah. But had trademarks. As it, a registered right? trademark. They had and who would have thought that like a little burger bar would go to that extent? But the fact that they did meant that Burger King had to completely rebrand in this country and are now that, Hungry Jacks. That is the power of trademarks, ladies and gentlemen. So even you as a small operator can protect your name even off, off the biggest of brands. And I really feel that that's a lesson actually in trademark protection because that is the power of trademarks and protecting your brand and your name and your logo and your image and everything you've created. Yeah. So I think it's a wonderful example. So we've got the trademarks as a protection, right? Keep off the grass. Don't take my ideas. Don't steal my ideas. But then we've also got the value creation around those ideas in terms of the balance sheet. So what advice do you have for people on boards right now in terms of one, understanding the assets that they have to kind of collating them and making sure that they maintain all the appropriate, you know, legalities around those and three, maybe valuing those. Yeah. Look, I think ideas, we live in an ideas economy and every board member will probably be very aware of the impact of digital and now AI and, and other technologies. In fact, when you look at the core assets of an organization, a hundred years ago, it was known as plant and equipment that came from the agricultural age. And it was very much the assets were physical and the rest, the ideas was known as goodwill. If you look in the last 20 years of businesses, and I'm not talking big, just big tech companies, but I'm also talking about anything from universities as a business through to, you know, those working in the cloud economy, whether it's digital media, marketing, or otherwise, 80% of a business is now what's known as intangible assets or ideas. So the registration of intellectual property actually creates assets which can be valued as intangible assets and placed on a balance sheet. We do this through a process called an IP audit or an IP assessment. It's probably a nice name for it. And often with more established organizations, those that have established boards, then that actually gives an opportunity for a board member or even the CEO or CFO or the whole leadership team to actually understand the idea assets that lie within their business. It's a really powerful process because all of a sudden, whether it's the education and training programs or whether it's the databases that how data, we know data is very valuable, categorizing it as intellectual property, registering ideas, 
that come in and out of the knowledge, the combined knowledge bank of an organization can be a very empowering process that will reflect on the balance sheet. It's also a great strategic tool that board members can use to make decisions about the assets that they own. Some organizations that have been decades long don't even understand what they've got anymore, whether it's been through, you know, there's been movement at the station and, and different people have left. Maybe they have some capture intellectual property ability to capture the information of the employees or the executive team. At the end of the day, many of them haven't got their eye on it. So uh, my humble suggestion is that if you are on a board, is to really consider, one, understand what intellectual property is, from copyright to trademarks to patents. You know, patents are, are the inventions, um, new inventive steps that have been created and registered, and many engineering companies, just for an example, have patents in the, you know, in what they create. But to understand the categories of intellectual property will then serve to empower an board member to actually begin to understand the intangible assets, the ideas that lie within that business. And I feel it's a great power for boards to actually embrace this understanding because they can create great value and leadership within an organization who value, particularly those organizations that value ideas. That's really good advice because I can see some kind of space out there between what we're currently doing. So we've got, you know, luxury brands, big brands. They're really good around protecting their brand name, their brand identity, their brand colors. And, you know, there's a whole business around brand recognition out there. And we've also got the people that, you know, create new inventions and manufacturing processes and they're all patents right how we sure develop a thing but that middle ground that space that i'm seeing is everything else which can be as simple as the way that you do something within your business so it could be you know the way that you do your performance reviews if you come up with a way that really works that has outstanding incredible results then that itself can be protected as a way of doing things right an ebook that I put out that just gives, you know, seven steps to get in on a board. IP, IP, IP. So much there that we can look at within the business and commercialize. 100%. I mean, I, I love this area of education and consultants often are building enormous amounts of IP. And Sally, you've just given a great example because every organization will have learning and training processes. And it is copyright, which goes back to one of our fundamental intellectual property rights, which is the right to express. And one thing I just want to add on that is that it can be protected. These systems and processes or training out manuals, for example, training programs, there is so much that can be protected with the power of contracts in combination with intellectual property. In fact, contracts and IP go together. Yeah. The reason being is that our terms and conditions or the licensing terms of any of our agreements and contracts are like oxygen. We're executing them every day. When we really think about what's in that is that there's the fundamentals of, of what we place in an agreement. And if we identify our intellectual property, if we're aware of what it is, we can basically breathe out to a, a huge degree of people can intersect with new customers with, in new ways. And that's the power of contracts and intellectual property together. 
And so I just wanted to make that point because I think as boards, there's a great opportunity to understand their interrelationship, both of those things together. Yeah, and coupled with your advice around, you know, this not being very expensive, protecting your assets doesn't necessarily cost a lot of money, whereas losing those assets to the competition can cost you a fortune, right? If you if you have to change every piece of stationery in your business because there's one word on it that you can no longer use, you know, all of your letterhead business cards for your entire sales force, all of your signage, it's a really expensive exercise if you get this wrong, but it's a relatively inexpe- inexpensive exercise to set it up and do it well. 100%. And look, there's, again, there's a graveyard of IP stories out there, which I've often formed the law. And I won't go into them now, whether it's Ugg Boots and the loss of an Australian iconic name just because a registration wasn't in place, or CSIRO not effectively patenting some of the core technology of wireless, known as Wireland technology, and it escaping to American shores. We lost a billion-dollar industry in some respects just because, and this was our chief scientific and research organization, didn't effectively patent around its ideas. So there's a lot to be learned there. And more importantly, there's a lot to be gained through the power yeah. of this process. So and yeah. I think that that's the thing about IP. It actually empowers growth in ideas and it actually commercial accelerates the commercialization process around ideas if contracted correctly. So I feel boards for boards, it's a fundamental, especially now we live in an ideas economy. Um, and we work in a, one that is only going to get more data-driven with the advent of AI and new technologies. And so, I, therefore, I believe the understanding around intellectual property is more important than ever because it can allow organisations and moreover boards to be a cap, true captain of their ship. So as you were saying, I was thinking about, you know, I have a cultural lens. So I think about, well, what if we created a culture of idea generation, right? What if we compensated our businesses to come up with brand new ideas? But who would own that? If an employee came up with an idea for a big global business and they took that idea on and got the trademarks, the copyrights, whatever was needed, who would own that idea? Well, you know, it depends on how, whether they're a humble startup or whether they're an employee, often in, in anyone's employment contract working for an organization, there is an intellectual property clause which is assigns those ideas to the organization. However, highly innovative companies encourage that within their employees, whether you're Apple or even Qantas. Qantas is a famously innovative company in terms of what it's produced, in terms of ideas and IP and efficiencies over its 100-year history. It's actually a fascinating Australian story, which grew out of the Northern Territory in Queensland and a, uh, sh- some short mail contracts that grew into this global organization. But they have fostered innovation all along, and, and they were breaking literally sound barriers and, and also innovation barriers in, in through the advent of Jumbo Jet. The reason I'm sharing this story is that they're very innovative and they encourage innovative in their employees. And so they will reward employees, even though the organization, you know, will house and, 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 and usually effectively protect and grow that idea. Same is true with Apple. The same is true with Google. So they're, they're actually cultures that foster a strong culture of innovation. And I think that should be encouraged. But equally so, 
the startup or the entrepreneur, it's never been an easier time in history for people to take their ideas and take them out to market. We have digital tools that are available for us for next to for free. We have a distribution channel as big as the wide as the world now. Never in a time in history have we had all those things. So never has there been an easier time for you to access the market and different markets and move with new opportunities, whether they're created in AI or many other industries that are yet to be born. There, we the consistent is that our ideas, our human ideas, will be assisted with a good understanding of intellectual property and then how to commercialize them. And I think these are the disciplines that boards need. These are the disciplines that need to be taught in schools and at business colleges because that's how truly we'll advance society. And let's not forget about the sustainability of our planet and the ideas that are needed and need to be born in humans to solve those problems. This is all the power of intellectual property, new ideas that solve human problems, and just an understanding and appreciation of the power of intellectual property within business, I believe, is a fundamental business skill in the 21st century. Look, I love your passion and your skills in this area. So evident in your book, Ideology, you bring these ideas to life and you make them easy to understand. And for a lot of us, this can be a really confusing area of law. So thank you for the work that you do and for bringing those stories to life. I will put a link to your book in the show notes, but also to say your website, GarethBenson.com, you've got resources on your website where boards and businesses can have a look at their company assets and really prompted to think about what they might have that might be of value to their businesses. Yes. No, I, I have done a number of interviews with entrepreneurs, business owners, and even some webinars about the fundamental rights of intellectual property. I, I do a masterclass and I work quite frequently with large and small organizations and helping them understand what their IP assets are. You can gain an insight to some of those at um, garethbenson.com or find me at my legal practice, ipassist.com.au. But I, I might finish with one quote actually from my book, which actually I think is very true for our current contemporary age of an ideas economy. Mark Getty, who famously created Getty Images, which is one of the first commercial image libraries still available today. Some uh, we buy and purchase images. In the early 2000s, he founded that. And he is actually the grandson of oil tycoons. So he comes from a billionaire family. But he forged this idea because he was an artist and entrepreneur and, and believed in the power of image and saw the opportunity with digital images and built Getty Images and sold it for $3.2 billion in about a decade. And he famously said that the richest people a hundred years ago moved assets from one place to another. And he was probably talking about his grandparents. But if you look at the ideas of today, that intellectual property is the oil of the 21st century. So it serves us coming from to understand ideas and IP, intellectual property, because businesses like Canva, which is an Australian gem, born by a 35-year-old and her partner, Cliff and Melanie Perkins, Cliff Albright and Melanie Perkins, basically have built this business, an Australian gem, in under 10 years, and it's worth something like 
I think now $35 billion up. And all of this was born out of the power of their ideas and intellectual property. So I think that there's a lot that boards can take away. And quite frankly, I'm here to champion and help uh, along the way. I'm encouraging you to be a captain of your own ideas and steer your company ship uh, strongly into the 21st century. Thank you. You're really influential in that area. You've got me thinking about businesses needing to foster their innovation and be empowered and grow through their ideas that they generate. Thank you so much for joining us today, Gareth. It's been lovely chatting to you. It's a pleasure, Sally. Thanks very much for tuning in. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode and what you took away from it. I'd also love to know what topics you're interested in hearing about in the future and which experts you think should be featured on this Board Success podcast. If you enjoyed listening, please share with your colleagues who might also have an interest and make sure you click to follow or subscribe to be advised of our upcoming episodes. In the meantime, if you're a leader or a successful executive and you're looking to launch your board career, or if you're an established non-executive director and you're ready for the next level, check out the resources we have available for you on the website at boardcoachinginstitute.com.au. Until next time, here's to your board success.